0: A series called Uprising. I listened to Steve's talk. Uh, That wasn't the one where the Holy Spirit came and stood alongside me, but I still thought it was a great talk on Thanksgiving and anxiety. So I know that people have listened to that and and do do listen to that. Uh, It was a great talk. But basically, we're doing this series called uh, Praying with Paula Uprising, uh, and and we're looking at kind of the not just kind of isn't it good to pray, Uh, and we will have at the end of the month, we're going to have a little week of. Uh, of prayer, but but actually more about kind of pulling into the content of what is the content of um, of Paul's prayers, because basically what you pray about is what you really value, and, and so we're picking up this uh, this week, and I'm I'm going to talk about not lacking any spiritual gift, which uh, comes from the letter to uh, the Corinthians. Uh, Corinth was uh, uh, is on an isthmus uh, uh, between uh, to the Aegean and uh, Mediterranean, no, the Adriatic, and, um, and so it was, a temp, uh, it was a place of kind of worship, the Temple of Aphrodite, who's the goddess of love, was there, and, um, and Paul, it was one of the uh, first churches that Paul planted, and, but basically had gone a little bit pear-shaped. Uh, this is uh, from a book um, called Spirit and Sacrament by Andrew Wilson, talking about this church, he says, there were leadership squabbles more appropriate to the democracy of the local agora. We're in that now. Agora is the marketplace, so we're in those squabbles at the moment. Uh, there, was, there was sexual immorality of the temple of Aphrodite in the church. The foolishness of the cross has been traded for the wisdom of worldly rhetoric and self-important boasting. A prominent individual is living incestuously and the church is proud of it. Some church members are suing each other. Some are visiting prostitutes. Some are participating in idolatrous worship. Corporate gatherings are a weekly debacle and do more harm than good, says Paul. They flaunt the dress codes. There's drunkenness at the Lord's Supper. Self-indulgent <coughs> spirituality. Total chaos. Even the future resurrection of, the, of believers is being denied. Makes us sound a great church, doesn't it? <laughs> I, 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 we might, I don't know if we've got any of those... Um, Yes, so uh, what a mess of a church! But yet, Paul starts his letter to them with a with a with a kind of exultation, come prayer. And let's just read that. So after he said kind of greetings, he says this: uh, One Corinthians one, uh, verse three, following. It says, "Grace to you, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." I always give thanks, my, I always thank my God for you because of the God's grace given to you in Christ Jesus, that by him you are rich in everything in words or in speech and in knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed amongst you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You will call by him into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we just pray as we... Look at this prayer of Paul, and this church that seems a complete mess, but yet you say they don't lack any spiritual gift. Lord, we thank you that gifts are not about us, but ultimately about you and your desire to give to us the sense of the future kingdom. Lord, we thank you that gifts will remain until you come. And Lord, I thank you that they're for building and strengthening and encouraging the church. So we say, Lord, we also at God First want to be not lacking in any spiritual gift. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. So I've been asked to speak about this loads of times. Loads of times. Everybody in leadership always says, you know, you what you need to speak about is spiritual gifts. Because I guess what we'd feel like as a church is that we want to be strong in the Bible and also strong in the spirit. We want to have a sense of walking and encountering uh, the Holy Spirit, but we also, uh, as well as being strong in the Bible. And, and, and so sometimes it feels like you have to choose those in a church. You sometimes think, well, I'll go to that church and they're, they're, they're strong in spiritual gifts and strong in worship, uh, but the Bible preaching might be a little bit thin. Or I'll go to this church and they preach the Bible, but the worship's a little bit dry. And what, what we're saying is, I don't think that's a Bible choice, that's not a gospel choice. Actually, the, 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 the New Testament st- church was strong in the gospel, and strong in, in the spirit, and we want to do that, and so, so my leader's always saying, you know, what we need is, we need to have, we'd love to have more spiritual gifts around in this church, and I would say, yes, we would, and I, and I hope that you're going to journey with me, and say, yes, we would. If you're there already, great, nod your head. If you think, well, I'm just going to process, then do that, but actually, I think it's important that we have spiritual gifts and we can have all sorts of experiences of that and this church in Corinth was a nut job church but Paul still says it's good for them to uh, have spiritual gifts. Paul is clear, though, that uh, when he starts his letter, he says, Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace was the greeting that the Greeks would use, which meant kind of God's kindness and life, blessing, God's kindness and life. So if you met somebody and you were Greek in the first century, you'd say, Charis, which meant, God, meant kindness and life to you. If you met someone who you were Jewish, you'd say shalom or peace, which meant God's wholeness and righteousness. Paul is saying God's kindness and righteousness and wholeness and peace to you, coming to you. Peace, grace and peace for our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul makes it really clear at the start of his prayer that God is always the giver. God's always the giver. He says you are enriched in every way. God is the enricher. God is the one who always wants to give. If you want to process, if you look at the, the parables of Jesus, actually the one who represents Jesus in the parables is always an outrageous giver. He's always like forgiving too much or giving too much or blessing too much or giving away too much. He's always an outrageous giver. We need to understand that God is an outrageous giver. He wants to give. Who agrees with that? Yes, amen. God is an outrageous giver. And so therefore, that Paul doesn't see any difference between, well, if God wants to bless me with salvation, you know, he, gives, he takes away our sin, he gives and takes away, he takes away our sin, and he wants to bless us, he gives, he wants to give us. Paul sees no uh, kind of breakdown between that and, and charismata. For, for Paul, Paul's grace, which the word is charis, uh, that means God's grace and kindness, cannot be separated from concrete expressions of God's gracious activity, his gracious gifts, martyr. And one time we think, well, we love grace. You know, the gospel preachers say we love grace, but we're not so sure about charismata. And some say, well, we love charismata. Well, you know, and, and, and we just want to be both. And, and, and if, this, if we feel we're not qualified or we're not the right kind of people, it's hard to think of a church that's less qualified than the church in Corinth. It's absolutely unqualified. I can't imagine a church less qualified to receive miraculous gifts. Yet to this church, he says, thank you that you don't lack any spiritual gift. And we don't really find out what Paul's talking about he sets it up and there's all, he goes through all the stuff. He goes through their understanding of the cross, their understanding of leadership fights, their, their, you know, of leadership and how that goes. He understands the Lord's Supper. And it's not really until chapter 12 that he starts to double-click on what does he mean that you're not lacking in spiritual gifts. So in verse uh, tw- uh, 12, verse 1, he says, Now about spiritual, the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. What he's saying is, we can have all sorts of crazy ideas, all sorts of historical stuff about spiritual gifts that we've seen. We can say, well, I don't really think, ah, oh, you know, I don't really want that one. That feels weird. Yeah, i quite like that one. Yeah, healing would be great, but yeah, I'm not so sure. Yeah, uh, gifts of administration, yeah, we're well, good for that. Uh, yeah, gifts of uh, serving, yeah, I'm good for that. And, and we can make our choices about kind of spiritual gifts. But Paul says, no, 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 I, won't, I don't want you to be uninformed. And then in verse 4 he says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them or gives them. And then in verse 7, To each is given the manifestation, that means something physical, something concrete, manifestation of the Spirit for, say it for me, For the common good. And then Paul mentions loads of examples. The utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge, or words of knowledge, words of wisdom, faith, gifts of healing, working miracles, prophecy, ability to distinguish between spirits, various various tongues, and interpretation of tongues. It's not a complete list, because elsewhere there's another list. In Romans there's another list, that's serving, teaching, encouraging, mercy. It's, there's, there's loads of gifts. In fact, if you're interested, by the Christmas flyers as you go out, I've got a list of spiritual gifts, there's a big table, a list of spiritual gifts and what it means. And it's a long, long list. I don't think Paul is saying these are the only ones. He's saying there's loads of spiritual gifts. And some of them seem really kind of high, high kind of spiritual realm like healing. Well, that's definitely a God's spiritual gift. And some feel like down to earth, like serving. Paul doesn't make that comparison. He says there's all kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit gives to them, gives to you. Now, just to be clear, that sometimes, and it depends on your church background, sometimes you can feel like, there's two types of Christians. There's, 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 there's this kind of normal Christians who, you know, believed in the Bible and, and believed in, in Jesus for their faith, and then there's a kind of super-Christians who've been uh, filled with the Spirit or baptized with the Spirit. I don't think Paul ever makes that distinction. He never makes that distinction. He doesn't say, okay, there's one class of the, of the, the I think my mom used to call them the non-Spirit-filled Christians. I think, and when I think about it, mum, it's totally wrong. There is a class called spirit-filled Christians, but actually, if you're a Christian, we're all in it. We're all in it. Let me just let, explain that to you. So Paul, in, in the same chapter, in 1 Corinthians 12, says, says for we were all, say all, all baptised by one spirit, so we form one body. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. He's talking about the whole church. He's talking about this crazy church of Christians. They were all baptized by the one spirit. They're all plunged into the one spirit. They're all drenched into the one spirit. They're all filled with the one spirit. In fact, the Bible says you can't become a Christian unless unless the Holy Spirit's at work in you. You don't become a Christian because you decide that Christianity is a good idea. You become a Christian because the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin and the Holy Spirit tells you, helps you to believe and the Holy Spirit brings new life and new birth. That's what Paul says to Nicodemus. You must be born again by the Spirit. So every, so, I don't believe in this category of non-spirit-filled Christians and spirit-filled Christians. Paul is really clear, isn't he? We're all spirit-filled. question is, how, much fill, how filled are we? But that's, a not, that's not for today. But he also says, And now to each one, gifts of the Spirit are given for the common good. How, who does he give gifts to? Each one. So in, in Greek, each one means, each one. <laughs> it means you. It means you. It doesn't mean me. Me. It means you, it means all of us, to each one are given gifts of the Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit are given so that we can look great and spiritual. God gives me spiritual gifts so I can stand at the front and look really spiritual. So you go, whoa, he's neat spiritual and it makes it easy for me to lead. No, that's not what Paul says at all. He says, each one, gifts of the Spirit are given for the common good. They're not given to make you look great or make you look fancy or make you look spiritual and say, I'm in this spiritual category and you're not in that spiritual category. Look at me with my spiritual gift. Look at you with your lack of spiritual gifts. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, we were all given the gifts of the Spirit for the common good. Paul is clear. No one has all the gifts. No one has all the gifts. So it's not like the super Christian on TV has got all the gifts, and you've got none. It's not true. There's nobody got all the gifts. Now, some of you, I know how it works to say, well, that's fine, because I've never wanted the gift of speaking in tongues anyway. That kind of feels weird. So, yeah, I'm glad we don't have to all of that. I mean, there are some churches that say, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not really a proper Christian. That Paul makes it clear, do you? you don't have all the gifts, but he encourages them to have gifts. And, and he, he says, there's not one gift that every uh, follower of Jesus has been given. So he says, Does everybody prophesy? No. Does everyone speak in tongues? No. Does everyone heal? No. Is everyone a leader? No. Does everyone serve? No. But some speak in tongues and some prophesy and some, and, and you should know, you should have some sense that God has gifted you. And as I said before, the spiritual gifts each of you have been given are to you've been given to serve the members of the body just as they serve. You with theirs. So if I've got a spiritual gift of teaching, I hope I have, I use that to serve you. If somebody's got a gift of encouragement, they use that to encourage you. If somebody's got a gift of healing by the grace of God, they use that to heal you. Somebody's got a gift of prophecy, they do that to encourage and up uh, and build you up. Gifts are a means of expressing love for others. Not, as I've said, not a means of self-service or to prove you're more spiritual than others. Now, what happened in Corinth was that they would got it a bit out of shape. And sometimes when things get out of shape, we think, well, we should just stop. So, so in Corinth, ecstatic speaking in, in, in what's called tongues... Um, uh, by the way, do, do, do you know, what, what, what does it mean when Paul, when that hymn writer says, Oh, for a thousand tongues. What do you think he's talking about? do not mean you mean, oh, a thousand of these. <laughs> I think what he's saying is, oh, for a thousand languages. A thousand different ways to say how great God is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what's... What, but the Corinthians have got this, idea, that this sense of... And, and, and they would understood that, that God gives tongues or languages, sometimes that are human and sometimes at angels. Because we know it, because we read it at weddings, don't we? It says, if we speak in the language of men and of angels, but we don't have love, then we're just a clanging cymbal and resounding gong. In other words, there's a clear understanding in this church that that there ecstatic languages. These are languages that they'd not learnt. But the problem is, they become a badge of spirituality. If uh, If you spoke in tongues then you were definitely keen to prove to everybody else you spoke in tongues. So what would happen is, they'd, the, the, the worship band would start, and they'd say, welcome everybody, and obviously by, by 20, 20 minutes later, everyone was there. And then what would happen, sorry, a little cheap dig. And, <laughs> and then what would happen is, everyone would start speaking in tongues. And then, it, you know, they'd all be going, whoa, speaking in tongues. And it's like Chaos. Chaos. Because everyone's trying to, aren't I spiritual? Imagine if you came and were trying to sing, Oh, for a thousand tongues, and everyone's... Yeah. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, If the whole church comes together, and everyone speaks in tongues, unbelievers are going to come in and say, you're all crazy. You know what, people who who do this, so so sometimes I, I do pray in tongues. Sometimes I'm walking my dog, and I'm praying in tongues, and people come past me, and I think they think, is he on the phone? Has he got earphones in? He must be crazy. Must be crazy because that's what we think about people that speak in, speaking funny languages, and we think they're crazy, don't we? But Paul doesn't say, right? We're not having any of that. We're not having no speaking in tongues. He says, actually, uh, uh, Corinthians fourteen eighteen. I thank God that I speak in tongues or languages more than all of you. So all those that love tongues say, "Yeah, hallelujah." That's in, his, yes, hallelujah. And others, I think, I don't think. Oh, Paul is a Paul a weirdo. He doesn't say, okay, because people are weird, people are weirded out by this gift, and 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 because like, it creates chaos in the meeting, we're not going to have it. He said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. It says, be eager to prophesy, but do not forbid speaking in tongues. Paul, make your mind up, okay? Is it crazy, chaos, or what? Paul actually encourages in 1 Corinthians, and the prayer that we're reading, it's 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7, says, by Jesus you are all enriched in everything, in speech. He's actually saying, I know that you've got it all out of shape, but actually it's, not, it's a good thing. And, and tongues is, is, is a great thing. Paul says... You know, I pray in tongues more than all, all of you. There's a hint of it in Romans eight twenty six. It says, we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit prays with us with groans we don't want to express. Now, the average human um, vocabulary is about 6,000 words. Yeah, 6, words. There's plenty of 6,000 words. There's plenty enough words for you to praise Jesus. But I know that some of you think, actually, sometimes I don't know what to pray. Sometimes I'm in a situation and I really don't know what to pray. Sometimes I'm in a situation and I think, God, I need you to come and I don't know what to say. It's okay to speak in tongues. But he says in a public meeting, we just need some to get it sensible. And I think I've sometimes said, I don't really want people speaking in tongues at God first because it can be crazy. But actually Paul says, no, let's just get some system, some order to it. 1 Corinthians 14, 27, 28 says, if anyone speaks in tongues or languages, of men and angels that they haven't learned, two or th- at the most three should speak. Now, obviously, he's trying to cut down from the whole church to two or three. Now, we're going, we're going from none, maybe to one, <laughs> one at a time. And then it says, someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in church and speak to himself and God. In other words, keep it, to, keep it for praying on your own. But he says if there is interpreter, that's okay. And actually, I've known situations, not very often, where people have spoken in the languages of men, and somebody who's a natural, say, Spanish speaker, or high German, understood high German, have thought, you've just prayed in high German. And they think I don't even know high German. I know a, a person, a, a man in, in Tanzania, who was... Um, on a train, and he's praying, and the guy across Tanzania used to be a German colony. Says, "You're praying in German, in high German." And he was like, "What am I saying?" he Says, "You're just praising God." Obviously, Tanzania had lots of Christians, and know if you did that in the train down to London, people think. Eh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but most of the time, the languages are languages of angels, and the interpreter is not a literal interpretation. It's not a literal interpretation. I believe that, that, and this really helped me when somebody was talking to me about this, it's an interpretation that senses by the Holy Spirit what's the heart and meaning of the tongue. In other words, it's a kind of sense, what, what is God saying? And often when people, if people pray in tongues and we wait for interpretation, then what we're really doing is we we'll wait, we'll wait, it almost sounds like a prayer. Because Paul says what people pray in mysteries in their spirit to God. So, uh, speaking in tongues is always from here to God. It always sounds like a prayer or praise. So, the interpretation should sound like that. And because it's an interpretation, two or three people could have a different facet because it's not a literal translation. But Paul actually says okay, if, you know, tongues is not what it's really about, I wish we'd. Pushed on further. So, as I quoted earlier, he says, "If I speak in the languages of men and of angels, but if I don't have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging symbol." He's saying, "Tongues isn't, shouldn't be a way to look spiritual. or t- Tongues shouldn't be a way to look like I've really arrived." What light like, happened in this church? He says, "Follow the way of love." One Corinthians fourteen eleven. Follow the way of love, and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. You think, "Well, I don't desire tongues, but actually, it might help you pray." especially prophecy. Paul unpacks why tongues for the, for the Corinthians wasn't the thing they should be pushing into, but prophecy. And I would love us to push into prophecy. Paul says this in 14 verse 2, If, any, if anyone who speaks in a tongue, anyone who, do, who speaks in a tongue, does not speak to people but to God, indeed no one understands them, they utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Say those words. Strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies or builds himself up. In other words, if you want to be built up in your, in your prayer life, speak in tongues. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. He says, I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues but I'd rather have you prophesy. Paul wants us to eagerly desire to prophesy. Paul wants us to do that. He wants it in, in, in our public meetings. And there's a sense where we believe in a God that speaks, that is not dead. It's not just he's left us with a book. He says, I won't leave you, vortons, I'll come make my home with you. It's left the Spirit with us. And there are loads of workings of the Spirit. When somebody serves you, that's a working of the Spirit. When somebody gives mercy to you, that's a working of the Spirit. When somebody encourages you, that's a working of the Spirit. When somebody leads you well, that's a working of the Spirit. But also, when somebody speaks, as it were, words from God that encourage comfort and strengthen, that's a work from the Holy Spirit. Who doesn't want to be comforted, encouraged, and strengthened? We all do. So what is prophecy? I think the Old Testament prophecy was definitely uh, uh, about, kind of, often about judgment, about saying God says this, about you haven't done this, and, uh, and there's judgment, and there's often about, about foretelling the future. Now New Testament prophecy can have some of that, but actually, Paul says, it's not really mostly about that. It's not mostly about foretelling the future or, or God bringing judgment for your sin. It's about saying God wants to encourage you. It's a, 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 it expresses the heart and mind and purpose of God for a specific pers- situation, person or group of people for their upbuilding, encouragement and comfort. It's important to understand that, that when somebody brings a prophecy, they're not words from God. It's not like what you do is you go in and you plug into the kind of soundy coaxial cable. It's a bit old school, isn't it? Let's say the network cable of God. And what happens is you're just the kind of loudspeaker and God just speaks as if you're not involved at all. And I think some people think, well, I, I can never bring a prophecy because I, I don't work like that. You know, it's like, <coughs> come on, God. You know, as if, and, and I think some people thought the Bible was written like that, as if the guys sat down and just went, I've got no idea what I'm going to write, I'm just going to start. I'm just going to be like one of those monkeys just typing and out comes the Bible. No, it, it, when, when God inspired the Bible, he inspired it through real people, through their experiences, through their lens, through their eyes, and, and then they spoke out and they wrote the Bible. Now, the Bible's a bit higher up than your prophetic words, but it's a similar sort of process that God speaks to you. And it says, uh, we prophesy in part. We know in part because we prophesy in part. In the, in the Corinthian church, they were saying, um, there's a the thing called the Gnostics, let's not get too clever, who said, I've got spiritual wisdom, I've got such spiritual wisdom, I can tell you what's going on. And sometimes people can be so prophetic in their view that they can act like they've actually, they've actually been on a phone call with God... And then say, woof. But actually, that's it's never, the, that's never the, the tale. It's always a bit of you and a bit of them. And as you go on, maybe it's a bit more of God and a bit less of you. But the reality is it's always a bit of a mixture. So I was kind of taught uh, when I was uh, a young Christian that if you wanted to bring a prophecy, you had to speak as if God was speaking. I am the Lord your God who has gathered you this morning to hear God's anointed leader. Oh, there's a bit of me in there, isn't there? <laughs> and, you know, I am, I am your God, and you are my children. And, 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 and sometimes that's okay. But actually, generally, when Paul says we pray in part, we know in part, we prophesy in part, it's much, much better to say, I just think God might be saying, or oh, I feel God's reminding me of this, or something. And, and it's much, much more down-to-earth. And don't ever say to people, God has told me. People come to me all the t- not all the time, actually you're pretty good you guys. But you know, I've had it in the past where people come a- 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 in church and say, God has told me to leave my wife and, and sleep with another woman. <laughs> well that sells it, God told you. He obviously phoned you up in the night and told you that, well who am I to say? We all know it's nonsense, don't we? Honestly, people have said that to me. God's told me to get divorced. It's like, okay, I know that there's painful and stuff like that, but actually, what would be better is like, uh, you know, how I'm working through this. And, you know, God has told Do you know why people play the God has told me card? Let's pretend this is an ace. Christmas flyer, by the way. They like to say, this is my ace. God has told me, and I place my ace on your king, and I can do what I want. It's nothing to do with God. It's all to do with I want to do what I want, and we talked about that in our culture shift series. I wanted, and I know churches where actually people—it's impossible to lead the church because people say, "Ah, you can't." God told me to do it. God told me. God told me. God told me. No, you prophesy in part. You've got half a story. Why do you say? What do you? I just feel God saying. I wonder if we should do. Some of you are nodding, some of you think, I have no clue about what this is about, because I haven't been in that kind of church. Praise God, I don't want to be in that kind of church. is not a chance for you to say what you don't say to the person, uh, you know, directly. <laughs> the Lord says to you, oh, Christopher or Paul, <laughs> you know, and then you say, you know, to be honest, you were supposed to have five minutes, and you took seven minutes, saith the Lord. That's nonsense, isn't it? Yeah, but we do do that, don't we? Uh, You know, the Lord says you're a really nice person. Just tell them they're a nice person. Or, you know, the Lord says, I just think anybody here from South Africa who's smug about the World Cup final, the Lord rebuke you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You know, it's just nonsense, isn't it? We just get nonsense about it. It's not a chance for you to say what you didn't, didn't dare to say. Normally guys get out the, put the spiritual voice away. I know some people you, you talk to them they're really normal and down to earth like from Yorkshire and then they say right and then suddenly they get up and they go oh my people my people no <laughs> Who told you to be weird? It's just a bit Corinthian and a little bit showy and a little bit ass place, amen. So because we prophesy in part and we pray in part, every prophecy needs to be weighed. Paul says, weigh it to see how much of God is in it and how much of you is in it. And you can say, actually, uh -uh, there's a lot of you in there, not much God. Sorry. But normally, most Christians, if they feel the sum of God in it, they think, thank you God for speaking to me. Just as I said, prophecy, New Testament prophecy is rarely a chance to predict the future. And it's very infrequently directional to an individual or a church. The Lord Lord saith to you, Graham, you must give £10,000 in the next gift day. It's not often like that. Although I did have a word for one guy once where I said to him, he was looking to buy a house in Salford. I've never done this before or since, so don't get too excited and meet me in the coffee. I just felt a sense when I was praying with him, God was going to give him 10,000 pounds. I thought, this is crazy. (laughs) This is crazy. So I knew him quite well and said, hey, John, this might be mad. So I I just had too much pizza, you know, the night before. Don't worry about it. I said, but I just feel that God's going to give you 10,000 pounds. You know what happened. I won't be telling you the story otherwise, because it was pizza, all those times it was pizza, it's like, I've never, no one's come back to me, have they? When I, but I said to him, I think God's going to give you £10,000. On the Tuesday, he says, Guess what? God has given me £9,500. £9, I said, False prophet. <laughs> God had given him some money to buy a house because he'd chosen to live down in the inner city of Manchester because he wanted to work with the poor and broken. You prophesy in part but it's rarely predictive. If, if somebody says to you, God says you need to go here and move there and do that and that, you know, that you just think, okay, well, I'll just weigh that one. And it's, it's, the Bible says, out of two or three witnesses, everything established. The Lord says you're going to marry that woman. No! The Lord says, you, you know, this is tragic. The Lord, you can't have baby, you can't have kids. The Lord says next year you're going to have a kid. I know that that happens, God says that to um, Abraham, but I suggest you don't do that. Or you, you've, you've got this disease, God says you're not going to die. Don't do that. It's not that kind of prophecy. It's really about encouraging and comfort and faith-building and motivation. It never contra- contradicts the truth of the Bible. The Lord says, the Lord told me to leave my wife and sleep with that woman. No, I think we should weigh that one. Um, it might give fresh understanding or fresh application or open your eyes. And it might also con- p- contain something that you could not have known. So Paul talks about words of knowledge. There are some people who, who when they prophesy, pray for you, or prophesy, they've got like some component uh, where the, of knowledge that they couldn't have known. That, that it's like it's a word of knowledge. And sometimes, if you prophesy over somebody and, and then you say something, so I, but yeah, sometimes you pro- prophesy over somebody and then you say, well, did I think that think? Well, that's really amazing because I was, and the Lord's saying, well, you think, what is God saying? The Lord says, let's all dig ditches. That's not how it works. You think, well, what, what, is, what is God saying? So it's a guy in Belfast, what's God saying? God says he's digging a ditch. I thought, I, I can't pray that over him. So I prayed. I think the Lord's saying, dig deep into him. Dig deep into your foundations for him. Dig deep into your spiritual disciplines. Dig deep into him. And then when your foundations have gone down, God's going to build something tall and strong. He said to me, so getting trained by Johnny, the church leader, and how to grow in as a leader. And I said, great, just let God encourage you in that moment. He felt like, Phew, God knows at the moment, I'm hidden and no one's encouraging me and I'm not preaching and I'm not doing that, but God's training me and I'm going to just let that happen. So, how do you get words? Let's just uh, dig into that and then, we'll, we'll, then we'll, we'll finish, okay? Okay, so this is how it works for me. I think the prophetic question, so how do you b- begin to prophesy? The prophetic question is, um, what do you see? If you're in Jeremiah or you read Ezekiel or you read Old Testament prophets, that, that, that God always says to, like, says to Ezekiel, he took him to a valley of dry bones and said, what do you see? He said, well, I see a valley of dry bones, great. Then he said, well, what do you see? He said, "Oh, well, I see an army that's been slain. Well, what do you see? He said, well, I see the army coming together. Do, do, what do you see? Yeah? It's, it, 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 prophetic is often, what do you see? So for me, and I'm not saying, well, I really want you all to feel that you can do this. Sometimes you get a picture or image so again, in, in, uh, Christopher did a great talk on this. This was the, 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 uh, in Belfast uh, last weekend, and you know, and, and we said to everybody, right? You just want you to get into get into groups, and, and bring images. And so one lady said, um, I just see a teapot. What does that mean? And we and we batted it around, and we said, Oh, well, we don't know. We've no idea. So she's, uh, so she said, Well, I better not say anything. And then another lady said. I see like a colouring book. She came to me and said, I, see, I, I, I said to my friend, I see like a colouring book. And, and I said, well, what do you think it means? She said, well, I, I think God's going to bring colour into your life. He's going to enrich your life. He's gonna, so she said, well, I said, are there any Bible, Bible verses about colour? And he says, yeah, God's multicoloured wisdom. I said, yeah, maybe God's going give, to give this lady wisdom. Yeah, so like God's, multi, yeah, Joseph's multicoloured uh, coat. Maybe God's going like, to give this person favour. You know, and, and I said, okay, so, so you see a colouring book. Well, what does it mean? The Lord says to you, Jason, you're going to be a colouring book. I mean, it doesn't help him at all, does it? <laughs> <laughs> but the Lord says, you've been a little bit... You know, you, you, the lines haven't been clear, but I want to I f- fill in the colours and I want to make r- your life rich and bright and I want people to go, whoa, God's with you. That's a different game, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Pictures, images or ideas. So if you did maths... At university, you might get some idea from maths. Uh, if you did biology, you might get uh, some idea from biology. I once, like, I did biology A-level. That's about as far as it went with me. I think it got too hard. But I remember one time having a picture of a crab. And I thought, the Lord says you're a crab. <laughs> you're crabby. <laughs> the Lord is bite, he wants to bite you with his crabby, crabby claws. I thought, hmm. Like, and then I thought about and I, actually, I've, I've had this picture a couple of times with people. But it's like, yeah, when a crab grows, they, they do this thing called ecdesis. Anyone do biology? Where's Will? Is that right? Yeah, the ecdesis. They, they, lose their, they lose their shell, because it's an external skeleton. They lose their shell, and then they blow themselves up with water to get bigger. And at that point, they're really vulnerable. And then, uh, they grow a new shell. And I saw a picture of a crab, and I thought, what are you saying about crabs, God? And it's like, "Oh, the Lord says there's going to be a period of, of vulnerability for you. You're going to like lose your shell, the thing that's confined you, that, but actually you're going to feel vulnerable, and maybe right now you feel really vulnerable. But uh, the Lord says to you, uh, "I feel that, that you're, you're, there's going to be a time for growing, and after that you're going to emerge stronger and bigger. See the difference between I see a crab to God, what are you saying? Where did that all come from? Well, I did air level biology, didn't it? God just reminded me of it. Actually, there's a much better place to get stuff from than a level biology. Where is that? At the Bible. Best place to start with is something out of the Bible. So when we're doing this workshop, when Christopher's doing this workshop, he said to everybody, right, just get in twos and threes and just open your Bible and turn to Psalm 23 and say, is there anything out of Psalm 23 that you feel like might speak to, to somebody? Like, ah, it's just a blum ball. I could say it could apply to anybody. The Lord is your shepherd. You're not going to be in want. Oh, that's amazing because I'm feeling like, how am I going to pay my bills? God just picks out something. It's as down to earth as that. So it might be seeing words or scriptures brought into mind. I've never had a dream or a vision. You know, it's sometimes in the Old Testament they say a vision. I've never had a dream or a vision. I've had some dreams, but I'm not telling you about. It. I'm mostly crazy, and I'm in the nude, running around. Do you get those dreams? Sorry, inappropriate. <laughs> Oversharing. I've had this dream. I used to take. I used. I used to be a school teacher, and I used to teach the lessons in the nude. And he was like, "What does that mean?" You know, the psychologists here are having a field day with me. <laughs> Don't bring that word. <laughs> it's not from God. I've never heard an audible voice. I've sometimes felt really, real kind of promptings. God's saying to me. So one time, I, again I, again in Belfast I talked about this, but at one time I was talking to some friends about being an orphan, or about they worked with orphans in the Philippines. And they said these orphans are like, fight your own corner, love me, love me. And I just heard the conversation over a cup of coffee, and then I'm in the, wor- in the meeting, and God says to you, you're a spiritual orphan. I went, woo. Well, what are you like? You want, love me, love me, love me, but don't fight. Don't get close, i smash your face in. It's like, God says, that's, I don't want to leave you as an orphan. I want to father you. I felt really clearly that God said that to me. So you can hear from your Bible readings, the Bible's alive, says Martin Luther, it speaks to me. Yes, that's why five by five is right. It has feet, it runs after me, it's hands it lays hold of me. If you, you're never going to bring a prophetic word over someone if you never dare open your mouth. If you, if I said to you, get in twos and threes and pray for each other, like, I don't. There's no way that God's bring a prophecy. You've got to just learn to open your mouth. You sometimes have to. Sometimes people pray a great, pray a great prayer, and I think, man, that's a prophecy. But they didn't say, and now I have a prophecy, everybody. Sometimes it can just feel like a great prayer. Start with the Bible spot the God prompt I've put here, wait for a picture or slightest impression or word or something from the scripture that's brought to mind. And then just say, God, what are you saying? Ask God what it means. God is not inco- incoherent when he speaks to us. What does it mean? God, give me clarity. What does it mean? What's some scripture about this? God will often use familiar, as I said, to help you think and bring into mind. and It's a mix of the God speaking in the moment and your experience. Check the prophecies in line with truth, that it's not some mumbo-jumbo. Check it's going to encourage and build people up. And then I think there's a moment, and I'd love you to not to do this, but you see this here? This is not my precious, you know? You, did you like the Lord of the Rings? It's not my precious. Precious. No, I don't give you the precious. You cannot have the precious. The precious is mine. It's mine. It's my microphone. It's mine. It's mine. It's here for you. Sunday morning. It's here for you. you can come read a scripture. Come give a prophetic word. I remember. I know we keep using this one, but Steve Mo came to the front one time when in the parabola. I'm nearly done. By the way, isn't I came to the front and he said, um, "If you th- if you're thirsty." You're already dehydrated. It's like, well, that's not very profound, is it? Could have read that in Runner's World. (laughs) But actually, in the... (laughs) Is that where you read it, Steve? (laughs) God, we prophesied in part. But there was that moment in the meeting where it felt like, man, I'm thirsty. And it wasn't just me. It was like all of us, God, I feel thirsty. I'm thirsty for you. It's you that I want. Fill me. Fill me. Ah, Lord, pour your spirit on me. Ah, yeah? Everybody, it's, you've got that. You can bring it. Come to the front. There's always somebody here to check it's not some pizza from the night before. And if it is, you know, I've been, I've been in huge conferences, walked onto the stage, gone to the guy and said, I think I've got a prophetic word. And I've told him everything. And you go back. It's called the Walk of Shame. <laughs> He had a word, and it was weighed, and it was not. It was weighed in the balance and found wanting. I've had. I just been ready to bring a prophetic word, and then the wife, the wife of the movement leader, has had a word, and he's just moved me out of the way. Wendy's coming. You know, it, just get used to it. It happens. Be open to have your words weighed. Be humble. Learn and serve. Can we do this? Ooh, I didn't sign up for this. We can do it. Some of you think, oh, about time. It's about time he spoke about spiritual gifts. Hallelujah. I can feel it now. And some of you think, man, I didn't sign up for this kind of church. So I hope you all feel uncomfortable. Paul says this at the end of the prayer. says, as you eagerly wait for the revelation of Jesus, these gifts are until Jesus comes again. But he says he's going to strengthen you to the end. And one of his ways he wants to strengthen and encourage you is through prophetic words. He's going to give you the gospel so that you'll be blameless on the day of the Lord. God is faithful. You are called by him into fellowship with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the way that Paul can mix the gospel and and, and the charismatic just effortlessly. He says you are called into fellowship with Jesus Christ